This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. So we're talking, we're leading this series, it's called More, right? And I don't know about you, but anytime... uh... Uh, the church talks about money. I always usually get a little bit uncomfortable in my seat, and I kind of do a little eye roll, like, man, you know, we're going to do this whole series on more. They just want me to tithe more. They want me to give some more money. And uh, that's something that I always felt, and I'm going to come back to that at the end of the sermon and kind of give you an update on on why I was feeling that. Um, So that's a totally normal feeling. I think uh, there's some things in life that are a little bit tougher to talk about in church because we feel like maybe there's some alternative motives. And I think money might be one of those things in the church, but In the Bible, God and Jesus, they give us very specific guidelines about money. Um, And so we're going to take a look at what the Bible says. And we're going to look at somebody, um, his name's John Wesley. John Wesley uh, is an Englishman who was born and raised in England in the 1700s. John Wesley was raised in a uh, a household of religious leaders. His mom and dad both were religious leaders. And his mom taught him Greek and Hebrew so that he could learn all of the old texts the, the way that they're supposed to be interpreted. But he never had it in his heart. He was never passionate about it. It was just kind of drilled into him. And so he came over to the States, the 1730s, something like that, and uh, he starts becoming... Uh, um, Later on in life comes over to the States, but around 1730s, he becomes a leader in, in, in a church, and he says that he's praying one day, and God warmed his heart, and from that day forward, for whatever reason, he just became one of the most generous and philanthropic leaders that the church had ever seen. He actually causes an entire revival. See, in, in England at that time, religion was just part of more of a culture thing, like everybody did it, but it was just part of the culture, not because you know, they were really trying to follow God. It was just because everybody was doing it. And so he really challenged some conventional thinking about giving and things like that. And one of the very first things that he thought about in in his leadership was that there's some basic fundamentals when it comes to more. We all want more stuff, right? I mean, I like more money, like more time with your spouse. You might want less time with your kids, but that could be more also. Um, You might want more 401k, more cars, more toys, more everything, right? And so he really starts to change something. You know, how do we get more life? His question was, how do we get more life? And so through his teachings, he starts to realize that if we realize that God is the more, that things really started to change in his life. Say, say is with me. God is the more. One more time. God is the more. And so this is fundamental to his teachings. And the reason uh, that it was so fundamental, he says, because there's many things that people want to do. We all want to earn more, right? We all want more money. And we all want to save more. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next two weeks. Today we're going to be talking about the foundation of God is more, is the give more. And this is the very foundation of the God is more. And so John Wesley, he becomes... uh, very famous, and he starts touring around all over the place and giving speeches and, and, and bringing up leaders in the church. And so he starts to become very wealthy. He was at this time making around 40 pounds a year, which was a ton of money, more money than you, than you ever needed for a, a single year. And so as he continued to give more, 
his, his wealth would exponentially grow. One year he would make 60 pounds, and then the next year 90, and then 120. And he capped out in his life at 1,400 pounds, which is millions of dollars for us um, in today's money. And so a very famous story of John Wesley is one time he was in his, in his house, and he was preparing some sermon notes, and he had a, a gal who came in and cleaned his cleaned his place for him, and it was a winter, uh, winter day, and it was very cold. She had a very thin kind of shirt on. He says, ma'am, shouldn't you have something a little thicker? Don't you have a thicker jacket? And he realizes that she doesn't own one. This is her only shirt that she has. And he says, well, you know, this is the time. God has warmed my heart. I really want to do the right thing and make God the more. I'm going to give this person the money that it takes to buy it. And he reaches into his pocket, and he doesn't have any money on him. He's actually out of money. He had been making 40 pounds a year, but he was spending it a little bit lavishly, things on himself, and he had no money to give this person. And mind you, this is in the 1700s, so there's no Venmo. He can't PayPal her. He can't give her any kind of money. You had to have the money, right? There's no credit cards in those days. And so he starts to realize that in his life, for the first time ever, one of the, the biggest religious leaders, he's going to cap his spending every single year at 30 pounds. No matter what he makes, he's going to cap what he spends at 30 and he's going to completely give away the rest to different churches and the poor. And it was a complete different mindset for, for people at that time. And there's something we got to realize with God is the more. We often look at that God is the treasure map to get something, right? Well, God is not the treasure map. He's the treasure. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that in your life. I've often maybe given something to God and expected something in return. Have you ever done that? I know I've done that. I remember one of the biggest tithes I ever gave was like five years ago, something like that. Around 2015, I was up for a promotion in my job, and there was three openings. I'm sorry, two openings, and there was only three of us applying for the positions. And I was way better than one of the other guys. So I thought, oh, there's just no way. I'm going to get it, right? And I thought, well, you know, I better just sandbag it, and I better just give God a really big tithe the week before they make the decision. Thinking that that had some kind of bearing on that, right? I was thinking that God is the treasure map to get the treasure. It was one of the biggest tithes I ever get. Even my wife's like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, it's just, it's going to really help me get this promotion, right? Long story short, I didn't get the promotion. I was way more qualified than one of the guys to get the job, and they ended up picking him. Fast forward a few years later, they eliminate that position from the company, and I would have moved my entire family about 100 miles or 60 miles north. We would have probably bought a house we couldn't afford. God was looking out for me at that time by not giving me that promotion. And instead, I was angry. God, I had given you this big check. Why didn't I get the promotion? And we often think that God's the treasure map. No, no, he's the treasure. He's the treasure. And so where do we get that from? Where did John Wesley get that from? We're going to take a look at some Bible stories. We're going to look at Moses real quick. And so in the Old Testament, we've got Moses. And the very first five books of the Bible give the whole entire recap of Moses and the whole history of the Israelites, but we don't have all day to read all five books. So if we, if we go to Acts chapter 7, it's not going to actually be up on the screen because it's pretty long. I'm going to just kind of summarize through it. Um, Acts chapter 7 gives a really good historical account of the story of Moses, and then we'll backpedal a little bit to Exodus in a second. Um, so... I'm going to start at verse 20. At the time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. And then he was placed outside, and Pharaoh's daughter took, took him and brought him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, so let's take a little pause right there. So what happened is Moses was adopted, 
by the Pharaoh. And he becomes an Egyptian. In his first 40 years, he's brought up, and he's one of the biggest leaders in Egypt. He becomes a very powerful man. If you say the name Moses, they know who you're talking about, right? It's just single name, Moses. No last name, just Moses. That's how you know somebody's really famous, right? And in this time in his life, he thinks, I am something. He thinks he's the man, right? Of course. He's a giant leader within the church. He is second to Pharaoh, and he's doing amazing in life. And we go right around when he's 40 years old. He says he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, and he saw there was one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. And so what does he do? He takes things in his own hands. He thinks that he is above the law. And what does he do? One of the Israelites is getting picked on by an Egyptian. He murders the Egyptian, and then he buries the Egyptian somewhere out in the sand so that nobody will, will find him. He thinks that he's so good that he can take it on himself to be above the law. And then fast forward a little bit, he, he comes up to two of his brother Israelites, and they're arguing, they're bickering, they're fighting. He says, why are you guys fighting? We're, we're together, we're a family. And they look at him and say, what, are you going to kill us like you just killed the Egyptian? And now, right now, he knows the gig's up right there. He knows that word's got now, everybody's going to know that he's actually a murderer. And so what does he do? He flees. So we fast forward, we go all the way verse 29 says, when Moses heard this, when Moses heard, like the rumors that that were out there that he had killed somebody, the truth is out, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and he had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, I always like how the Bible just fast forwards your 40 years of your life. It's like 40 years pass, boom, it's over. And he fled and he's thinking, I am nothing. Right? He went from something all the way to nothing. And this happens in our life all the time, right? Remember when you were in grade school, you were in fifth or sixth grade, and you were, you were the big man on campus, and then what happens the next year? You go to middle school, and all of a sudden you're nothing, right? And then you're in middle school, you're in eighth grade or something, you're the big man on campus, you're super popular, you go to high school, what happens? You're nothing again. Then you graduate, you go to college, and you think, oh, I'm something, and you get there, and you don't have anything figured out, and you're nothing. And then what happens when you finish college? You go out into the workplace and you think, oh, I'm going to be something, and you get out there and you don't know squat. This happens in our life. It just keeps happening over and over again. You think, oh, I'm getting married. This is going to be awesome. And then when you get married, you're like, no, I'm nothing. It doesn't make any sense, right? It just keeps going back and forth. And it's at this point, so it's around when uh, Moses is about 80 years old. His life's about 120 years old. Things shift for Moses. Moses starts to realize that This is still all about Moses, both of these parts. And he realizes for the next 40 years, there's a shift. And things start to take off in his life. If if you look um, in in Exodus, there's so many things that, that happen. The burning bush for Moses, right? We've got the burning bush. We've got the plagues that he does, right? Remember he splits the Red Sea? Imagine how awesome that would be. All these great things that happen in his life. And that's not the greatest accomplishment of his life. We're going to go to Exodus 32, 7 to 10. And at this point, God has saved the Israelites from Egypt. And things are going really well. But the Israelites start to act a fool a little bit. They start thinking that they are going to be in charge. And they're going to make some idols. And they get everybody's jewelry. And they make this giant golden calf. And it's really, really disrespectful to God. God has had enough. And so God and Moses have a little meeting, and God's going to tell him, hey, I think we're just going to control to lead these people. We're just going to start over. <laughs> and we're going to read this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, 
Go down because your people, I like this part, because your people. Any parents in the house, have you ever done this when your kids are misbehaving? You're like, those are your kids. You know, my wife always does that. When my kids are misbehaving, she'd be like, those are your daughters. You know? He says, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have been themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you from Egypt. God continues, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. God keeps going, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. We're going to stop right there, you into a great nation. Imagine that little part. We often kind of skip over this part because Moses defends the Israelites right after this. But God says, you know what, I'm going to make you into something again. Imagine that deal. He's telling you, I'm going to make all the nations great through you right now. This is like being on American Idol or something, and all the judges give you a pass to Hollywood. It's like some kind of thing in that life where you know you're, you're going to be it, right? But what does Moses do? He says, God, I don't think that's a good idea. Let your name be great. Let's spare the people. And that's what ultimately happens. God, Moses ends up putting God's name first. And so God becomes everything. And I think too often in our own lives, we get stuck between these two parts in our life, right? We get stuck between I am something, I am nothing. Things in our life are going very well, and then something happens, and we become depressed, and we keep to ourselves, and maybe we start to become negative, and we keep going back and forth in here. And it's not until this part in Moses' life when things really start to take off, when he has the realization that God is everything. And remember, God is not the treasure map. He's the treasure. And this happens to Moses in this time, and he becomes completely different in this leadership, and he actually saves the Israelites' people because God was going to wipe them out, and he makes God's name great. It's an awesome part in the Bible. And we can even fast forward a little bit to when uh, Jesus, we don't, we don't know too, too much about his first 30 years, but we know a lot about the next three years when he becomes a rabbi and he starts preaching to all the people, and he goes and does the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of like, the Bill of Rights of Christianity. He gives all of the different things that we should focus on. And he really says, the things that you focus on in life will define you. He's, the big point that I'm trying to make is how you define the more, how you define the more, it defines you. How you define the more defines you. And Jesus is going on here and he's saying, you know what, love is greater than the law. Remember, the Old Testament is all about the law. It's about the Ten Commandments and all the different things that we're supposed to do and keep right with each other. And so if you're thinking, boy, I give my 10%, but in the New Testament, Jesus never says anything about giving 10%, right? But I can tell you this, he does say that love gives more than the law. And we'll prove it a little bit. He says, no, uh, in the Old Testament, what? No adultery, right? No adultery. And Jesus says, actually, you know what? Because back in the Old Testament, they said no adultery. You could actually, you could look at the menu, you just couldn't order. You know, you could have these bad thoughts, just don't act on. And that's pretty easy, right? But Jesus says, actually, you know what? No lust. Don't, don't even have those thoughts, right? Which one, is, which one is more demanding, the love or the law? The love, right? The love gives more, right? We'll say it again. Which one is more demanding, the law or the love, the love, right? 
And he says in the Old Testament, it says, don't murder. No murder. And Jesus says, you know what? Actually, love says no angry thoughts. Uh, which one is harder to deliver on? The love, right? Of course it is. Anyone could not murder somebody, but to have no angry thoughts, right? In the Old Testament, it says, eye for an eye, equal justice. And Jesus says, actually, have forgiveness. Have kindness. Which one is more demanding? The love. It even says, you know what? Go to war and you can hate your neighbors, no problem. Go to war with them. Love your family, but hate your neighbor. And Jesus says, actually, love your neighbors more than you do your family. Which one is more demanding? The love is, right? And so when we think about giving in, the, in, in, in our lives, the love that is now the new law is actually even more demanding than the law was because Jesus what? Jesus gave everything. And that's what he's instructed us to do. Love always will give more than just the law, right? And that's something that's been really fundamental kind of in, in my life in this study is learning that it's not just about the law, about following, oh yeah, give 10%. It's about the heart and the feeling that you're giving and doing it for the right purposes. I'm gonna change the subject real quick a little bit. Anybody like donuts? A lot of hands up, a lot of hands up. I like donuts too. I didn't eat yet either. I have a donut right here. Does anybody want this donut? Anybody? Is anybody willing to come up on the stage for the donut? Anybody? Somebody? Anybody? Let's go. All right. All right. Let's give it up for Dave coming up here. Yeah, yeah. I was telling my wife about this analogy I was going to use, and she's like, if your kids were in the room, they would never do it because they wouldn't trust you. <laughs> well, that's why yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, sir. That's it. Thank you so much. You get a donut. You can that take it. Easy. That's it. That's it. Easy. Easy. Now, hold on just one sec. One sec. One sec. One sec. You can keep the donut, or you can take what's ever in this box for the donut. Okay, he keeps the donut, all right. Give it up for Dave, give it up for Dave. Let's see what was in the box. I can't get it open. It was a hundred bucks. It was a hundred bucks. Could have bought your miss something nice. There's a hundred bucks in there. Hundred bucks in there, and I was thinking, boy, I'm really glad we don't do three services anymore because I didn't want to give away three hundred dollars. Like, a hundred dollars was going to be fine, right? And sometimes this happens in our life, right? We're presented with something in front of us, and we can consume it right away. And God tells us, "Hey, I've got this box up here for you. All it's going to take is you to give me that donut that you got right there, and I'll give you what's in this box." Dave didn't know what was in the box, right? God tells us what's in the box. There are glorious, awesome gifts in heaven. He's saying. Just give me a little bit. I'm going to bless you more than you have ever seen in your life. I'm going to give you what's in this box. We know what's in it, right? And we think for some reason, like, there's going to be a giant, like, prank. You know, remember that show, like, Behind Door Number 2, and you'd get uh, Deal or No Deal, I think it was called, or something like that? Or what was it called? Let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. 
that was a really cool show because some of the times it was like a zonk, they called it, and it was like a broken car or something. That was fantastic. And so the analogy that I'm trying to make here is that God tells us, I'm going to give you a little bit of money in your life, a few thousand bucks, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, a million. But it's all just a vapor. It's going to be gone tomorrow. And you might say, you know what, I really like my car. I really like my house, Adam. You know, I don't want to give all that up. Nobody's saying you do. But just remember, it's all going to be gone quickly. It's all going to be a vapor. And you might say, well, you haven't seen my house. Yeah, sure, okay, your, your donut has some maple on it instead of the glaze. Like, but it's still just a donut. It's going to be gone before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> really? I think maple's the best one. Yeah, maple's the best one, right? Maple fans? All right. Okay. And so what God is telling us is, is in our life, we have to be careful with the things that we own and the things that we have in life. They're going to be gone in an instant. He's saying there are riches beyond your wildest imagination. All you got to do is give a little bit and you'll be blessed forever. One of my very favorite verses in the whole Bible, Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that there you won't have a room for it. And he's kind of like, call my bluff, you know? You give me a little bit and I'm gonna pour out so much onto you that you, you can't even have room for it. So we went through how you define more will define you, right? And so when we go into the New Testament, we start to see that it's tough in our world, in our society to keep giving because we live in a world of takers, right? The point I'm trying to make is try to be a giver in a world of takers. Because everybody that we interact with, it seems like there's a selfish motive. And Jesus, he lives by the law of love. And that sometimes can be very difficult, especially when we're out there. And Jesus calls us to be the salt and the light of the world and to not represent that. To stand out and to give more and that we'll be blessed beyond belief. So when I opened up uh, the sermon, I had mentioned that uh, sometimes when we start to talk a little bit about uh, money in the church, I kind of roll my eyes when I'm sitting in the seat, you know. I start to get, uh, okay. And so the reason for that, I think, is I think I was looking at God as the treasure map, like I said before. And so this week, me and my wife had some discussions and just to be totally transparent, we'd always give into the church and we always write a check or we do push pay and we're always floating around somewhere between five and 10% and it's never been concrete or, or, or hard. You know, if we get a raise or a bonus, we would just keep the amount the same. And so I really looked at that God was calling me during this message to look at my own finances and plan out for that because God is the more. And so by changing my mindset, I felt free over this last couple of weeks when I was planning this sermon series that you don't even have to worry about it. It's going to be just like that donut that Dave had. It's going to be all gone in a second. It's just all material things. And it's awesome to think about that when we get to heaven, we'll all be there together and you'll be like, Dave will be standing up there saying, boy, I really wish I would have taken that box. I wish I would have got that $100, right? That's what we're going to feel like when we're up there. We're going to be in heaven looking back saying, man, I had all that money and I could have brought so many people into the kingdom or I could have shared it with my neighbors or that poor person on the street and I could have done some good with it and all I did was just waste it on stuff. And there's no take backs, you know? The donut's already gone. You can't trade the donut anymore, Dave. You know, it's already gone. And that's how we're gonna th think about it when we're up there. If we go to uh, Luke real quick, 
God's kind of testing us in this, in this world. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, when I mention Jesus in here, he tells us to, to pray and to fast and things like that. And what we have in this world is kind of like a little test. It's a little test that we have in our life. God's giving us a little bit so that he can see if we can handle more. And if you ever, any leaders or managers in here or teams, yeah, a whole bunch of people, right? So you know when you have somebody in your team or an employee and they start to do a really good job and they start to go above and beyond, what do you do? You give them a promotion or you give them more, you give them some more responsibility, and then what happens again? Then the next boss sees you and says, oh man, you're doing even great, I'm going to give you even more responsibility. And that's what God's doing in our life right now. You get a little tiny paycheck and you give your five or ten bucks, says, okay, that's a really good job. You know what, I'm going to bless you more in your life and let's see how you do now. He's going to continually to bless you. And again, he's not the treasure map, it just comes with when your heart is in the right place, these things will fall into line. I've seen that over and over in my life when I've taken different promotions at work, it's because I was doing a good job and I was going above and beyond. That's what God is calling us to do with our money now. It's not about how much you give to the church. Believe me, God's wallet is a lot bigger than yours and I, okay? This church, if it's going to get a building, God's going to take care of that one way or another. It's not the five, ten, or the thousand dollars that you give. It's God's will that will make this place go, but he's giving us the ability to participate in that, and in our own lives, we'll be forever blessed if we do participate. If we look at Luke real quick, it says, I'm reading from 16, verse 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And Jesus is coming off a parable, and right before this in the parable, he tells a parable about somebody who is uh, very, very rich, and he hires a manager to take the day-to-day operations from his business. And this manager's doing a pretty crummy job, actually, and the manager gets wind that he's going to get fired. And so the manager thinks, boy, I really got to set myself up for after this job so that I'll be taken care of. So what he does is he calls in the owner's business partners, and he says, How, you know, what do you owe the owner of the business? And one guy says, oh, you know what, I owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. He says, you know what, I have the authority, cross that out, you only owe 800 like, I said, okay, cool, I'll sign here, and he's out of there. And the next guy comes in, oh, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager, just cross it out, just put 400. And so he had kindness with his money, and actually the owner comes in, and he tells the person, yeah, actually, that was a smart idea. And this is a strange parable, right? Because if you had a business and somebody was giving away some of your money, you might look at it a little bit differently, right? You might get this guy going to jail or something. But this guy actually says, you know, that was very smart. You set yourself up for the future. And what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable is that in our lives, you have the ability to set yourself up for the future. You have the ability to be taken care of later in life and even bigger riches in heaven. All you got to do is use the money for good. There's some quote that I read through this that says, money makes a great slave and a terrible master. God gives us money as a tool to bring people to know Jesus, to live our lives, and even to have fun, right? But we can't serve both of them. We can't serve money 100% of the time and the church, and that's what he's trying to tell in this parable. There's a couple last points I, I, I want to close with as the, the worship band comes up here. Something very important that's changed for me when I was thinking about this is thinking about 
what I have as, as mine and me giving it to God. So uh, I read this one. It says, it's not how much of my money I give God. It's how much of God's money will I keep for myself. I'll say it again. It's not how much of my money I'm going to give God. It's how much of God's money I'm deciding to keep for myself. And that's really shifted in my brain what I'm thinking about. Because every week, me and my wife have some very specific financial goals. We got two young girls. I don't know how they're going to live here in the Bay Area. I have no clue. It's going to be crazy going through college, right? So we have some very standard goals that we're trying to meet. And so we look at it as I'm giving my money to God. And this week, I've really transformed into thinking, it's God's money. He's just letting keep some of it. And so this message isn't, you know, if you're new to Christianity, this message isn't, hey, write us a big check today or, or we need a whole bunch of money. That's not what I want you to take away from this. I want you to think of it as all being God's money. And when we have the opportunity to give some back to God, he will forever bless you exponentially in your life. And that's something that's changed for me in the last few weeks. I'm so glad to have gone through this message to think of that. I start a new job on Tuesday. Yeah. And so for the first time in 20 years, I'm currently unemployed for the weekend. It feels pretty good, actually. You know, just a few days, freedom to come up here and speak and, and prep for this and spend some time with my family. And the main reason I took that job before I had done this study or anything was because my old employer was deciding to pay us all less. I said, I want more. And so I worked for 10 months, 20 different interviews, people asking me what kind of animal I would be. And I was blessed with this new opportunity that's exponentially more money than I was making before. And I really need to make sure that in my heart I realize that it's God's money. And that's not what I should be putting forefoot in, in my life. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.